0: Let us begin. Okay, so um, it's been a break—the uh, long Pesach break—and also um, a number of you are on the uh, Zoom, but we're also back in person at the home of Pinna Levine. Uh, so everyone's welcome to join us here, or we're also going to keep the Zoom going because um, because of the Zoom option, we're able to uh, expand to uh, people who can't make it, which is a great expansion. So we'll continue on both levels, and I think this is the first time I'm giving a class. Uh, both in person and on Zoom, so I have to learn how to do this. (laughs) Bear with me. We are holding in Shmuel Aleph in the beginning of Chapter 7, Herak Zion. That's what we're holding and that's where we are going to continue from this evening. Um, By way of just a very quick background, in the previous um, Prochim, we learned about really the calamity that befell the Jewish people and the, when the, um, and the house of Eli, right, Eli was the great Kohen Gadol, he was the great Shofet, um, but his sons, Chafni and Pinchas, did not behave appropriately for people of that level. And therefore, Eli was told by nevuah, by prophecy, by two prophets, that his uh, sons would be killed and that would uh, be the end of the Kahuna, or the Kahuna Gadol, at least in his family. And that happened. Um, it was a great war with the Plishtim, and uh, initially the Jewish people fell in that, uh, not initially, the the, um, the first day was disastrous, many Jews were killed, and then they decided to bring the Oren, the holy Oren from the Kaddish HaKadoshim to war with them, thinking that that would help them win the war. Um, and it was on that second, so they brought the Oren, and Chafni and Pinchas, Eli's two sons, came along. And the, uh, they were killed. The war was terrible, a terrible disaster for the Jewish people. Um, Chafni and Pinchas, the two Kohanim, were killed. The Arin was taken by the Plishtim. Um, and then we have one valiant warrior who runs from the battlefield. And he goes back to eli the, the, the elder Kohen Gadol in shil, in Shiloi, who's sitting outside waiting to hear news from the war and from the orin and from his sons. And this warrior comes back and he tells him that your two sons were killed and the Oren was taken by the Plishim. And it's at that point that Eli, who's a very old man, 98 years old at the time, falls backward and he dies as well. Um, So on that day he dies and his two sons die. Not only that, we learned that even a daughter-in-law went into labor, gave birth that day, and she died giving giving birth. So it was obviously a terrible day for the Jewish people. And the Oren was taken. The Oren for the first time in history is taken by the enemies of the Jewish people, and that's the plishtim. Um, we learned about the interesting medrash, that that warrior who ran from the field was actually Shaul HaMelech, who's leader later going to become Shaul HaMelech. We'll learn about that tonight. And that he actually grabbed the luchais um, and, and took them with him. Because the uh, the plishti warrior who, who took the Arun from the Jewish people was Goliath, again, who we're going to learn about later. And he took out the arun. Yeah, I'm sorry, he took out the uh, Luchas from the Oren to shame them, and that's when Shaul jumps forward, takes the Luchas and runs back to Eli. Okay, but then we have the whole interesting story about how the Oren wreaks havoc in the places of the Plishtim where they take where they take it. The Plishtim take the Oren and they put it in their, um, in their uh, places of worship, churches or whatever, and wherever they take it, the Orin wreaks havoc. I mean, the idols are falling, the idols are breaking, plagues are coming on the Plishtim. And after a number of months of the Orin be going, uh, being sent from one place to another place in the Plishti territories, ultimately the Plishtim send, them back to the, Jewish, send the Orin back to the Jewish people. Um, and there was a whole long event. How they sent it back, a miraculous event, through putting it on a uh, wagon and connecting the wagon to oxen, And the oxen took the Orin on their own. In fact, we learned about the Shira that the oxen sang. All of that is the background to the story. The Aaron finally arrives in Beit uh, Shemesh. Beit Shemesh, which today also in Israel is a Beit Shemesh. I don't know if it's the same place or not. But the people of Beit Shemesh were not, were, were, were Yidin, were Jewish people, did, were not respectful, or not respectful enough to the Aaron. And therefore, it actually a plague ensued, and many Yidin died then as well. And ultimately the people then, the people from Beit Shemesh sent the Orin to a place called Kirias Yeorim. And they said, the Pilishnim returned the Orin to us. Please take the Orin. And that's exactly where we finished the end of Peregva, Vav, the end of chapter 6. So now the Orin is in its in Baisi be, Orim, which is a town in Israel. It doesn't say here exactly where in Israel it is, but that's where the Orin is going to be. And the Pasik says that the Uren was brought there and was brought to the home of a person named Avinodov. And this Avinodov designated his son Elazar to guard the Uren of Hashem. In other words, here, um, contrary to the people in the earlier town, they had the proper respect for the Uren, and his son Elazar became the guardian of the Uren. Now, the Uren is going to stay in this home for 20 years. As the Pasuk says, For 20 years, the urn is going to be in this home. And those are going to be 20 years that the Jewish people, by and large, are faithful to Hashem. Um, The the Gemara says that these 20 years are going to be 20. The first 10 of them, Shmuel is going to be the Shefet alone. Um, The the next year, Shmuel is going to be together with Shaul Hamelech, which we're going to learn about tonight. And the. Next, and then two years, Sha'ol alone. And seven years, David HaMelech. That's the 20 years that the Aaron is going to remain in this home. Because ultimately, as we know, David HaMelech is going to bring the Aaron to the house of David. And ultimately, it's going to go to the Beis Hamikdash. But for 20 years, the Aaron is going to be in this home. Okay, the passage goes on to say that in that time, Shmuel was the undisputed Navi and Sheyfit of the Jewish people. And he brought them to Tshuva. It says, he spoke to them, he says, um, he tells them words of uh, rebuke, and he says, if you truly return to Hashem, so remove any types of idolatry from your homes. You have to remember, there was always idolatry going on in the land of Israel, uh, definitely amongst the uh, other inhabitants of the land, but also amongst the Jewish people. So Shmuel was, um, he awakened the people to tshuva, and he told them to remove their idolatry, and the people listened. They removed the ba'olim, which is the types of idols. Vayavdu as Hashem and they served Hashem alone. This was a good time, spiritually speaking, for the Jewish people under, um, the, under the, judge, the, the judgment of Shmuel Hanavi, the great Novi Shmuel. The passage goes on and says that Shmuel asked to gather all of Klal Yisrael. Vayirmer um, Shmuel, kibtsu as Yisrael, mitzpasa, bring all the Jewish people to mitzpah, and there I will daven for all of you before Hashem. And all the Eden gathered in Mitzvah. It says they poured out their hearts before Hashem. They fasted on that day. They um, confessed to their Averis. And Shmuel also judged any judgments bin Adam Lachavero. In other words, Shmuel brought Kal to a real state of tshuva on that day in that time. Now, the Plishtim, who are the, the enemies of that of the time of the Jewish people, they get messages that the Jewish people and mass are gathered in Mitzvah. They don't know why, but Shmuel gathered everyone for a ceremony of davening and of tshuva. So the plishdim here, that Klal Yisrael is gathered in Mitzpeh, they say, "Let us go wage battle against the Jewish people. After all, they're all they're all here together. This is the right time." And Klal Yisrael sees that they came here for tshuva, they came here to daven, they came here to be with Shmuel, and hasheh, and now all the plishdim are gathering to battle them. So the Yidden turn to Shmuel. And they say, you know, it says, Daven for us. Al-techer ash do not be silent. miz hashem al cry out to Hashem so that Hashem should save us from our oppressors, from the Plishtian. And Shmuel listens to them and Shmuel says, exactly, he says uh, 100%, he takes a karban and he makes what's called a bama, we discussed in the past, that once we had the Beis Mikdash built, then one is not allowed to bring a sacrifice anywhere else in the world. Uh, today, for example, if someone were to bring a sacrifice to Hashem in their backyard, that's a that's a sin. Once the Beis Hamikdash was built, you don't have any other mizbeach. But until the Beis Hamikdash was built, it was permissible, and they were called that was called a bama versus a mizbeach. A bama was like a makeshift altar that was created, whether it was by Shmuel or any of the other Navim. So Shmuel took a uh, he created a bama, a type of an altar, and he brought a uh, a, a sheep. And he brought it up as a carbon for Hashem. And when he brought up the carbon for Hashem, the Pasuk says, "Va'yanehu Hashem. Hashem answered him. What does it mean Hashem answered him? So Rashi brings from the Gemara that a fire came down from heaven and consumed the carbon. That was always the symbol that Hashem had fully accepted the carbon. And at that point, Shmuel knew that his tefillah was answered and that the Jewish people would be saved from this ensuing battle with the Plishdin. And indeed, that's what happened. The Plishtim were gathered around them for war, and suddenly Hashem, as the Passock says, Vayarim Hashem Bekoil Godoil. Hashem started thundering and lightning, and there was a tremendous uh, noises and tremendous uh, eruptions going on. And the, uh, the entire encampment of the Plishtim was thrown into chaos, and they started running helter-skelter. They lost everything. And the Yisrael saw that the Plishti, um, the Plishti uh, armies are running away, so they chase them, they may chase them, they were totally victorious in war on that day. And um, says Shmuel took a stone, and he um, he he, uh, he set out, he erected a stone in that area, and he said, this stone is a symbol for the great ness, the great miracle that Hashem did for us here today, that he saved us from the hands of the plishtim that had gathered to battle us. And he called that stone the Even HaEzer, Evan ha'ezer literally means the rock that helped us. We know Hashem is euphemistically called a rock, the rock of our salvation, Suri Yisrael. So He called the stone Evan ha'ezer, um, and that was as a as a sign, as a symbol of the of the ness, the miracle that Hashem did for the Jewish people on that day, where they won the battle without even having to lift a uh, <laughs> um, you know a sword. It was just thunder and lightning and and, and earthquakes, and as Hashem took care of the entire battle for them. Um, Interesting to note, we have the most basic book of halacha that we use, is the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch is divided into four basic sections, and one of them is called Evan Ho'ezer. There's Orach Chaim, there's Choshen Mishpat, Yoridea, and Evan Ho'ezer. So this name that Shmuel Hanavi dubbed that stone that he erected as a memory, as a memoir, as a symbol of Hashem's salvation, is actually used as one of the names of the four sections of Shulchan Aruch. Um, interestingly, that's the section that deals with all types of marital issues and marital responsibilities, husband and wife, marriage, divorce. All of that is in Evan HaEzer, um, the, that Hashem is the rock, of, the rock of our salvation. Why is that specifically the name of that one? I don't know. But clearly, marriage needs a lot of help. <laughs> um, so we have the Evin HaEzer that Hashem saves and helps as long as we try our hardest, and we have the Seiita deShmaya to be Matzliach in that as well. Yes, sure. Uh, why did they bring the Aron back to the Mishnah? Why did they keep it in the house? So that, that's a very good question. The Mishkan at that time, it seems, wasn't really fully operational. Once that once they had that story and they took the Aron from the Mishkan and Eli was gone. So at this point, it was like a time of limbo. It was um, The Mishkan of Shiloh doesn't seem to be the center at that time. And therefore, the Aaron remained in that home, again, for 20 years until David HaMelech is going to bring it back. Okay, says the Pasuk that from this point and onward till the end of Shmuel's life, the Pelishtim never again fought the Jewish people. Um, the, again, Shmuel was this tremendous sadic. We discussed this a number of times. The Pasuk says in certain ways, Shmuel was great, as great as Moshe and Aaron together. So we're talking about one of the greatest tzaddikim ever, and he brought the Jewish people to a state of tshuva, and here miraculously, and it was, and it was a clear miracle, how this war was totally won by Klal Yisrael, and therefore, as the Pesach says, the plishtim were, you know, kind of the, uh, were subjugated, they did not again come into the gvul, to the boundaries of the Jewish people, All the days of Shmuel, Klal Yisrael was in control, and all the cities and all the lands that Shmuel, I'm sorry, that the Pelishtim had taken from them over the time were returned, and Klal Yisrael was living a relatively um, peaceful um, life in that period of time under Shmuel Hanavi. And the chapter finishes. Um, Shmuel judged the Jewish people all the days of his life. And an amazing thing the Torah tells us is that Shmuel always traveled. He wouldn't wait for people to come to him. He would travel from city to city and he would crisscross Eretz Yisrael. And here we have the great Shofit, the great Sadiq Shmuel. But he saw it as his achrayis, as his responsibility, um, as the judge of the Jewish people, to be very available and not just that, but to go to the people. And the pasuk says every year, constantly, v'halach midei shona b'shona. He would go year by year, Visavav, and he would make his rounds, Basael, Vaha Gilgal, Vaha These were the major cities, metropolises of the Jewish people at the time. Visafat Es Yisrael is called Mikoimus Ha'ela. And he judged Klaal Yisrael in every place that he would come. And then he would come back to his home, which was in Ramah. It says Utshuvase HaRamasa, Kisham That's where he lived. Vayiven Sham Mizbeach Lahashem. There he built a special Mizbeach for Hashem, in the place where he lived, but he did not stay there. He would travel around Kalal Yisrael till the end of his life, as we'll see. Um, interestingly, we saw the Pasuk said, Vayishpah Yishmua mm-hmm. kol all the days of his life. So there's a beautiful Remez hint that the Chidah, we've not mentioned the Chidah many times, the Chidah uh, says a beautiful Remez hint, and he says that kol, the word kol, kof is the numerical value of fifty, right? Kuf is twenty and Lamed is thirty. So if Shmuel, it says Shmuel judged the Jewish people all his life, that's fifty. Why fifty? Because Shmuel lived to be fifty-two years old. And we learned back in the beginning of the Sefer that his mother Hannah, when did she bring him to the Mishkan? When he was two years old, right? We don't remember all the way back. Hannah said, "If Hashem gives me this son, I will dedicate him to serve Hashem all of his life." So when he was just two years old, he was weaned from nursing. Chana brings him to the Mishkan and gives him to, she, to Eli, HaKohen, and says, this is the child that I promised to Hashem. So from that point point on, he was Mishare, as Hashem, he served Hashem and served the Jewish people. Says the Chiddush, that's the Remez, that's the hint, that Shmuel was Shafat as Yisrael, Kol Yimechay of all the days of his life. All, again, is 50. The 50 years from when he entered the Mishkan, he became, so to speak, the property of Kol Yisrael, totally devoted to Hashem and to his people, and he was that ultimate Shafet and tzaddik and Novi of Klal Yisrael. Um, the story of Shmuel is not over yet, but this is uh, focused on Shmuel himself. Um, just a beautiful idea that uh, we're not that far from Pesach, just a couple of weeks. So by the Pesach Seder, um, we have one of the very famous uh, statements, is when Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah says... I am like 70 years old, right? And I'm like 70. And everyone always says that, what do you mean he's like 70 years old? Because really he was only 18 years old, right? But then when he was uh, appointed to become the Nasi, the leader of the Jewish people, so he was only 18 years old. So he says, let me go ask my wife. And the wife says, she says, you're you're 18 years old. You can't lead the Jewish people. He was married. (laughs) Yeah, he was married. So... So what happens is the next morning he wakes up with a white beard, right? Just, you know, a word to the wise, be careful what you ask for, right? So he says, I am like 70 years old. He looked like he was 70 years old, right? But the Arizal says, Arizal says you know, Torah is a lot deeper than just uh, the, the external appearances of a white beard. You know, a white beard makes him like 70 years old. That's very external. There's got to be something much deeper to it, says the Arizal. The Rabbi bin Azariah was a Gilgal. Was a reincarnation, his neshama of Shmuel Hanavi, and Shmuel lived to 52, and he was 18, and that's why I am like 70 years old because I have the 52 years of Shmuel behind me. Mm-hmm. So it's not merely everything that's uh, that has uh, everything external, um, really alludes to something deeper that's going on as well. Everything is that way. We see only the very uh, you know the very end product, the most external picture comes the. Uh, comes, the, especially Kabbalah and Hasidus, and explains what's the background of the story. And that's what the Arizal explains, what Rabbi Lassab and Azari was saying, I'm like 70 because really I have the 52 years of Shmuel Navi behind me. And the Rebbe in, in a talk said that that's a tremendous lesson, that we always have to remember um, that we're a lot more powerful. We have a lot more abilities than we give ourselves credit for because we are incarnations of previous generations. And the avodah that we do is on top of the shoulders collectively of what was done until this point, point. and that's really the message, the lesson from that Rabbi Elazar ben Azaria. Um, you know, the Rebbe always told us so much. That we're the generation that's going to bring Mashiach, and the obvious question is, who us? You know, if all the previous tazikim didn't do it, how us? And the Rebbe would always say, because we stand on their shoulders, just like Rabbi Elazar ben Azaria says, I stood on Shmuel Anavi's shoulders in that time. Okay, that is the end of Perik Zion of chapter 7. Let's move on to Perik Ches chapter 8. Now we're holding closer to the end of Shmuel Hanovi's life. And as the story of Navi, is always, this up and down, up and down. So the last Perik goes up, now it goes a little down. And that is that Shmuel had two sons. Um, and, Vayhi Kasher Zokin Shmuel. Shmuel was, was old, not really 50 years old, not old. But for him it was you know, he all. Was, he was approaching the later points of his life. So he appointed his sons to be shoftim, to be judges over the Jewish people, um, to help him or ultimately to be instead of him. But they were not like their father. Their old, his oldest son, his name was Yoel, Yoel, and the second one was Aviyah. Yoel and Aviah are the two sons of Shmuel. And though, though they were they were great people, clearly great people, at, to the extent that Shmuel trusted that they could be shoiftim for the Jewish people, but, as the pasuk says, banav his sons did not go in his ways. The Gemara explains, it doesn't mean that they were sinners. Shmuel would not um, appoint his sons to be shoiftim if they were sinful people, but they weren't like their father. For example, the Gemara says, they did not travel around. They didn't take their father's message, lesson. Um, whereas the father, Shmuel, would travel constantly from place to place, and he didn't stay home. They, you know, had their home, and they said, whoever wants to come will be glad to judge them, but you come here, which is, you know, pretty typical actually. But being that they were the sons of Shmuel, it was expected of them to be on a different level, and to learn the uh, lessons that their father taught them. It also says that they they went after money, and, and, and so on, and again, the Gemara says it doesn't mean that they stole or anything, but the the gifts that are supposed to be given to the Levim, they would demand. They would say, you know, it's our rights, and therefore they would ask for it and demand for it. And all of this was considered inappropriate for, again, the sons of Shmuel, who should have been, who should have learned from and been more like their father, Shmuel. And here we have an interesting concept that's brought in the Gemara as well. And that is, and it's something, a concept that really we learn Chumash about, and that is that when a tzaddik says a um, um, a conditional curse, a tzaddik says a con- so something bad will happen if A and B, if something, you know, on a condition, then even if the condition is not fulfilled, the words of the tzaddik have an effect. Mm-hmm. And where do we have that in Chumash? In Chumash we have that with Yehuda and Yaakov. Yehuda told Yaakov, that, you know, send Yosef with me to Mitzrayim, and if not, I will be considered sinful for the rest of my life if I don't bring him home. Now, Yehuda did bring him home. But nevertheless, that had a negative effect on Yehuda. And uh, Gemara tells us that uh, throughout all the years in the desert, Yehuda's casket, which they had with them, they heard his bones rattling, and all that was that chiram until Moshe had to daven for him specially. So here, too, we have an interesting thing. Because, remember, Eli's sons... Also, didn't go in the way of Eli. Now, if we remember from like maybe two or three classes ago, when Hashem comes to Shmuel, when Shmuel is a little child, and Hashem tells him, "Go tell Eli the prophecy that because your sons aren't behaving, so therefore they'll be killed and so on." So Shmuel doesn't want to tell that to Eli, his Rebbe, and Eli says, "If you don't tell it to me, then whatever is being said about me will happen to you." As soon as Eli, the great Kohen Godel, said that, that had a negative effect on Shmuel's sons so many years later. That's the, the power of the words of a Tzaddik. And um, as we know, there's many such uh, stories, but there, here, the Gemara says it here about Eli's sons as well. Okay, be that as it may, I, I want to make it clear, Shmuel's sons are not considered Rishon. They're not considered. They were great people, but they were not on the level that was expected of them. Okay, and here we have the Jewish people come to Shmuel. And they say, listen, they say, you're getting older and your sons are not like you. We want a king. And this is where really um, uh, a lot of the fascinating stories of Tanakh begin because we're going to um, learn now about the appointment of the first king of Klal Yisrael. So the, the Zikne Yisrael, the Zikne says, um, All the elders come to Shmuel. And they say, "Listen, you're getting older. Your children are not going in your ways. Sima lanu melech, make for us a king, lishavtenu <speaking in Hebrew> that he should judge us, <speaking in> ha'goim <Hebrew> like all the nations. Klal Yisrael asks for a king. And Shmuel is very unhappy with their request. Vayera <speaking in Hebrew> Shmuel. Shmuel was very saddened. He was very unhappy with their request for a king." And Shmuel, of course, turns to Hashem, davens to Hashem, and says, this is what the people are asking. And Hashem tells Shmuel, Hashem listen to the nation, follow them, but don't take it personal. He says, Lay mo'asu. They, they're not, they weren't, um, they're not trying to, uh, they're not disgusted by you. He mo'asu Hashem says, really, it's against me. It's not against you. They don't, they don't want me to be their melech. They're looking for a human king, mm-hmm. and it's an extension of their negative behaviors throughout the years. That's what Hashem tells Shmuel. Now we're going to see soon that this is a a great question that the commentators deal with. Uh, but let me let me put that off for a moment. We'll get back to that. So Hashem tells Shmuel, listen, you're right that it's it's negative that the Jewish people are requesting a king. However, you should, you should go with them. You should do what they're asking. But tell them that a king is not no simple business. Tell them what it entails. And that's what happens. Shmuel says, You people want a king? Well, let me tell you about a king. A king who is gonna take your he's gonna take your properties for his needs and for his palace. He's gonna take your children for his armies and for his um to be generals and to run his armies. He's gonna take your daughters. To um, work in the palaces as cooks and as uh, to create different types of uh, you know sewing and cooking and so on, and then he's going to tax, he's going to tax your fields and he's going to tax your vineyards and your olives, um, and give it to his servants and your sheep, and he says, and then you're going to cry out to Hashem to save you from your king, but Hashem is not going to listen because you requested a king. So basically, Shmuel is trying to. uh, You know, paint the picture, paint a bleak picture, you know, are you sure you want a king? But, of course, uh, in the olden days Jews were stubborn, and um, a long time ago, so the passage says, the nation did not listen to Shmuel, and they said no, they said no, we don't care, we want a king. And then they say, an important pasuk, We will be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us, and he will go up before us, and he will wage our battles for us. Shmuel heard all the words of the nation, and he passes it on to Hashem. And Hashem says, Go ahead. He says, Listen to them. Listen to their voice. Appoint for them a king, and Shmuel says, okay, and he tells the nation, okay, everyone can go home. Your request has been accepted. There will be a new king for the Jewish people. That is really the end of chapter 8. Now, there is a very famous question and discussion concerning this chapter that's discussed in many Mepharshim. And that is, what did the Jewish people do wrong by asking for a king? There is a pasuk in the Torah, it's a mitzvah. There is a mitzvah, it's in Parshas Shoftim. Um, one of the Parshiyos in Chumash Devarim, Shoftim. And it's a very straight out pasuk. That you should make for yourself a king. When you come to the land of Israel, in fact, Rambam says from the Gemara, that when the Jewish people come to the land of Israel, there's three basic mitzvahs that became applicable. And one is to make a king. And one is to destroy the descendants of Amalek. And one is to build a of mikdash. Those three mitzvahs go together. Lahachris, So if it's a mitzvah to make a king, what do the Jewish people do wrong? I mean, they, seemingly they're, they're asking to do a mitzvah. Why is Shmuel upset with them? And why is Hashem upset with them? Clearly, Shmuel and Hashem are upset. And, and Shmuel is upset, and Hashem says, you know, they're not they're not upset. They're not they're not fighting against you, they're fighting against me. But why are they going against Hashem if they're really fulfilling a mitzvah of Hashem? So again, this is a, a great question, and the Barbanel discusses this at great length, and the clay yucker discusses it, and the Radak discusses it. Like it's it's a it's one of those questions. And there's a number of answers. The the basic, I think, point of all the answers is. That they were asking it in an inappropriate way and for inappropriate reasons. That's the basic gist of the answer. Every mefirish, every, 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 every commentator gives perhaps a different spin on what was inappropriate about the way they were asking it. And I mean, really, you hear it in the words of the Pasuk when it says, we want a king to be like all the nations. There's something, they're, they're, it's very clear they're looking for something different than something spiritual and something holy. So, and again, the different Mepharshim give different explanations. But clearly, the concept of a king is not a bad concept. The question is, how do we ask and why are we asking? What are we looking for? There's a, a very a beautiful idea of the clay Yoker. Clay Yoker is one of the uh, fascinating Mepharshim on Chumash. So on the Parsha in Shoftim, where it says, Somtasim Alecha Melech, to create a king. So he asks the question, so so what went wrong when they asked it for Shmuel? And he has an interesting note. He says, the words of the mitzvah is Somtasim Alecha Melech. What does the word Alecha mean? Place upon yourself a king. They said, T'na lanu melech, give us a king. Says the Kaliakar that there's a big difference in that nuance if it's placing above yourself or taking for yourself. You know, the Hashem wants that that Melech should be above, should be a king, should be someone who is powerful over the people. The people wanted a king that they could control, <laughs> that they could sort of dictate what he's going to do and when he's going to do. They wanted someone that they're voting in and they'll vote out. The uh, the Akar says, he says like a lot of people, it's interesting, he says this in Chumash, in Pirish, he says people take Rabbonim, But they only keep him for a couple years, as long as they're saying, as long as the Rav is saying what the community wants. But as soon as the Rav, you know, is is saying things that don't work with this community, out with him, we'll get a new rabbi, right? Mm -hmm. So says the Kleiachar, that was the problem. That they realized with Shmuel, Shmuel wasn't listening. He's he's a servant of Hashem. The true king is a servant of Hashem and not a servant of the people. Mm -hmm. So that's the Kleiachar's take on it, of what they were doing wrong. They were looking for someone that they could be, that they could control, And not someone who's really in control over them. Um, In Hasidus, this is discussed as well. And the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Rebbe of Lubavitch, has a sefer called Derech Mitzvah Secha, where he goes through a number of the mitzvahs and discusses them in a more um, kabbalistic, esoteric way. So he he has a he has a whole mimer on Toshmalach Malach on the mitzvah of having a king. And the way he explains it is that there is a need for a king on a most basic level, which is to make sure people behave. Right? We say in, uh, in Pirkei Avos that we should pray for king's kingdom because otherwise people will swallow each other in the streets. There will be anarchy. So one reason for a king is just for law and order. But there's a much greater and loftier reason for a king. And that is the true king that the Torah is referring to is a is great tzaddik. And that king brings us to a much greater and higher level of connection to Hashem says that Shmuel wanted the Jewish people to be on a higher level. They were looking for a king for law and order reasons. And he was saying, it's expected of you to be able to follow law without a king. For that you have the Torah, for that you have Hashem. The king should be to bring you to a different level in ruchnius and spirituality, a greater level of connection to Hashem. That's the type of king you should be asking for. But the people were just asking it for, just for law and order. And that's what Shmuel was upset about, that they need to have a physical king for basic law and order. But nevertheless, being that they needed it, he said, okay, Hashem said, yeah, well, if you need it, then then you need a king for that. And ultimately, if a person needs it for law and order, then you have to have a king for that. But there was this uh, unhappiness with the fact that they were on the level that they needed a king for such a basic reason um, like they were asking for at the time. So that's the Somecetic uh, explanation. And again, it's, it's a different form. you'll have different explanations to this, but that's the basic idea that they were asking for a king um, not in an appropriate or for an appropriate uh, reasons. Okay, let's um, quickly try to do Peyic test, chapter nine. And chapter nine is where we finally meet the first king of Claudius The Pasik says, again, beginning of chapter test, that there was a man from the tribe of Binyamin. And his name was Kish. Uh, Kish, son of Avil, son of Tsr. But um, that's Kish. By the way, Kish is mentioned in the Megillah of Esther because <laughs> because Mordechai was a descendant of Kish. Ish um, Yemini from the Shevet of Binyamin, from the tribe of Binyamin. So this Kish had a son named Shaul. And this Shaul, says the Pasuk, he was like a chosen, a beautiful person there was no one who looked as, 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 as good, as handsome as him from his shoulders and above he was taller than everyone he was a, a head taller than everyone else that was this show. now as I said just earlier when we talked about the uh, white hairs of uh, Rabbi Azariah Everything that's physical is is mirroring, is expressing something much deeper. The fact that Shaul was so tall wasn't just that he was a good basketball player. There was something much deeper to the fact that he was a head taller than everyone else. And the wording of the Pasuk is is exact as well. His shoulders and upward was higher than everyone else. What's the Pasuk trying to tell us? So Chasidis explains that the head typically represents the seichel, the intellect of a person. Versus the shoulders and down, that's where the heart is, that's more the emotions. And the way we're built, the way our neshama is built, as we know from Chassidus, from, from, from Tanya, um, from Kabbalah, that there's the highest part of a person is their intellect, and that intellect is supposed to guide and lead our emotions, and that should bring us to proper actions. When it says the Shal's shoulders were higher than everyone else's head, that means his, in, his emotions was higher than everyone else's intellect. Mm-hmm. Which means his intellect was totally higher than everyone else. So, and again, this is just another example amongst many, many that the the very physical expression of something is there to really express something much deeper. So that Shaul HaMalach, of course, physically was taller than everyone else, but that means that spiritually um, he had this tremendous level of seichel and midos um, way above the uh, everyone else. And that is Shaul, the son of Kish. Okay, and now we have this very... Uh, interesting story of how it came to be that Shaul is going to be chosen as king. So, um, the the Navi tells it in detail, but in short, um, Kish was a, um, like most people probably at the time, was into agriculture and farming, and he had animals. And amongst them he had donkeys. And a few of his donkeys went missing. Um, So, he sent his son Shaul to go together with a, one of the servants or someone who helped out, and he says, "Go and search for the donkeys that went missing." And Shaul, who was a uh, who had tremendous um, respect for his father and was devoted to his father, uh, spent a couple of days, a couple of days with this servant, and he went from one city to another city to a third city, and he was searching for the donkeys of his father, Kish, and they couldn't find it. Finally, Shaul tells the um, the servant says, you know what, This, this is. A, let's go home. Because my father is going to stop worrying about the donkeys, he's going to worry about us. You know, at the end of the day, he lost a couple of donkeys, now he doesn't know where we are. And here, interestingly, Chazal jump in and say, look at the humility of Sheol HaMelech. He says, our father is going to worry about us, putting himself, who is the son, together with the servant, together. And as we're going to see in the parrach, again and again, Sheol, one of his most discerning qualities... His greatness was in his humility, as we'll see. So here he tells the servant, and he says, let's go back home in order to, so my, our fa- my father should not worry about us. And the servant says, he says, you know what? We happen to be in the city where there is a great Navi. There's a prophet, and that is Shmuel. And a Navi, he'll know in a minute where the, where the donkeys are. In fact, he called the Navi a Roe. A, son, a seer, one who can see. And the Pasuk says that in those days, that's what they called the a Navi. They called the a, a Navi one who sees. It's interesting. The Pasuk says initially, um, when a person says he's going to a Navi, he would say, Let's go to the one who sees. Mm-hmm. Ki hayom, that whom we call a Navi today, then was called a roa, one who sees. So the servant suggests to Shal, let's go to the the seer, which is Shmuel, um, and ask him about where we can find those donkeys. And interestingly, Shal says, for us to go to the Navi, we have to have something to give him, just to come and ask for advice. I don't have anything to give him. And the servant says, well, I have a quarter of a shekel kesef. So we have something, we'll give him the shekel kesef, and and we'll ask him. Let's see if he could uh, if he could help us. Pasuk says they met some uh, some uh, girls who were coming down to um, to the water, and they asked them, is the is the is the Roet, is the seer here in this city? And they said, yes, yes, he's actually here today. And actually today is a day that a carbon is going to be offered to Hashem, and everyone is gathered, and nobody's going to take the carbon until the navi comes to bless the carbon a navi for like such stuff yeah, like this yeah interesting is normal? it is it is it, and it's, it's interesting this uh, because you asked the question i'll say in tanya in the fourth section of tanya one of the letters the al Rebbe writes he says people are asking him questions about business and so on and so forth and he says he says don't ask me such questions you know ask me questions of Ruchnius. he says the navium of old so then they ask questions even physical stuff like like shall's donkeys but today we're not Nevi'im. Why are you asking me these questions in Gashmius? The Alta Rebbe writes in Tanya. The interesting footnote to that is that Hasidim never stopped asking the Rebbe even <laughs> physical things. Um, even though the Alter Rebbe said not to, it seems that the Hasidim and the Rebbeim looked at the Rebbeim like Nevi'im. And therefore, just like those, nevi they asked them the, the most physical things. And we know from the, the Rebbe, people ask the most physical things. Um, that's just the, the fact, the way, all the way back to, to the Nevi'im. But here's the best example, they were going for donkeys, that's it. Anyhow, so Shaul says to his servant, okay, let's go. And they come, to the, they come to the city, and they're vayalu ha'ir, and they're going to see, could find Shmuel. Now, Hash, the Pasik says, Hashem had told Shmuel a day earlier. He says, tomorrow you're going to meet the new king. Remember, there's a king. Remember, the Jewish people asked for a king. And we're going to be anointing a king. He's coming to town tomorrow. Look out for him. So Shmuel had a nevua that Sha'ul was on the way. Now, so now they're coming to the city. And Shmuel is walking out of the city. And as Shmuel sees Sha'ul, Shmuel gets an immediate nevua. Hashem says, Hine ha'ish asher amarti i'lecha. This is the man that I told you about that he is going to be the king over my nation. Now, so Shmuel sees Shaul, and he knows immediately who he is because he has a nevuah. Shaul has no idea who Shmuel was. They didn't have navi pictures in every dining room, <laughs> right? He had never seen. He had never seen Shmuel. So the Pasik says, Shaul walks up to Shmuel and says, um, he says. Can you tell me where is the house of the Navi? He doesn't know. He's talking to the Navi. Right? So he's talking to Shmuel. He says, "Hagidana Nali, tell me please, Eze Haroe. Where is the house of the seer of the Navi? He knew his name was Shmuel? I don't, I don't know. He says, Eze Haroe. Where is the house? Maybe he knew the name. I don't know, but it doesn't, it's not indicated. Eze Vayan Shmuel Shmuel answers to Shool and he says, I am the seer. You found the right person. Come with me to the mezbeach and eat with me. And in the morning I will send you back. I'll send you home and then I'll tell you everything that's in your heart. And by the way, don't worry about the donkeys. <laughs> he says it? Yes. He says, <laughs> The donkeys that you're missing for the last three days, don't worry about them. Because they've been found already. Uh-huh. And then he says, And anyway, why are you thinking about donkeys? All the beauty of Klal Yisrael is for you and for the house of your father. Indicating already this concept that Malchus, that he's going to be the Melech. Why are you worried about donkeys? You're going to be the king of the Jewish people. Shoal responds immediately, says, What? <laughs> He says, What are you talking about? He says, I come from the tribe of Binyamin, the youngest of all the tribes. And my family is the youngest in the tribe of Binyamin. Lama, Dibarta, Eli, Kadovar, Hazel. Why did you talk to me this way? Indicating that I'm destined for some level of greatness. And here again, we see Shaul's humility. Shaul didn't understand. What does he mean? That I'm kol chemdas Yisrael, the beauty of Klal Yisrael is for me. He right away says, "I'm from the youngest tribe, and in that tribe alone, I'm from the youngest families. Why would you tell me that the beauty of Klal Yisrael is for my family?" And Shmuel doesn't answer. But that's the first conversation of Shaul and Shmuel. Um, as an interesting aside, um, Sh- Shmuel answered. He said, "Anochi I am the seer." In Gemara and Chazal, we find that Shmuel is criticized for that. I was going to ask you about that. There's, so, there's something, some level of arrogance detected there, although, I mean, he was asked, where's the house? And he said, that's me. I mean, there's nothing, no Havera here, but somehow on Shmuel's level, it was held against him. And like everything, it's so beautiful how we find it much later that that's dealt with, um, because much later on in the story, when David HaMelech has to be chosen. So, Shmuel is looking at the different sons of Yisha and he says, oh, I think that one should be the king. And Hashem says, no, no, no. Then Sh- Shmuel says, maybe this one. And Hashem says, I thought you said Anochi Haroah, you're the seer. And you're not able to see which is the right son. Mm-hmm. And that's where he was punished for this Anochi Haroah that he said way back when he talked to Shoal. What was wrong with that? It seemed there was some level of arrogance at the level of Shmuel to say, I am the Navi. Mm-hmm. Some, now, again, on a simple level, he was just answering a question, but there was a certain sense of "I" here that was somewhat held against him many years later. Is a no-hi different than a knee? Like, is, does that have any kind of arrogance in it? I don't know. Possibly, but I don't know if that's—I don't know if that's that, or just talking about myself. He um, could the have maybe, yeah. There are, there are stories, there are Hasidic stories of Hasidim who came to a city and they were looking for a Rebbe. I don't have a specific story in mind, but there's more than one. And they actually met the Rebbe in the street and they asked him, where the house of the Rebbe? And he directed them, yeah, that house or something. Or some said like, yeah, he's not even special. Go to a different town. There's better Rebbes around. And those stories always have funny endings. But there is the concept of trying to shirk any type level of that. Okay, so let's finish up here a little bit. Let's see if we can go to the end of the parrot. Um, Shmuel takes Shaul and his and that servant who had come along with Shaol and he brings him to his room, and they're they're doing a karban that day, and he says, You're gonna come with me and uh Beroishakurum. You're gonna be the head of those who are called to this karban. And Shmuel calls in the one who, the cook who was preparing the karban and says, You know, that uh, piece that I asked, that I already set aside. For someone special coming, that's for him. As he had already told him a day before that there was going to be someone coming. As I told you, that Hashem told um, Shmuel that Sho'ol was going to be coming. And then they brought the karban and they ate. And then it says that Shmuel takes Sho'ol, the young Sho'ol, up to the rooftop. And they spend the night talking. The Pasik doesn't say what. It says, He spoke with Sho'ol throughout the night on the rooftop. And Chazal say he was teaching him the secrets of Yir As HaShem, the truest level of Yir Shemaim that would be expected of a king. Though he still didn't tell him he's going to be the king. That didn't happen yet. But he's already grooming him, so to speak. He's telling him what the, new, what the first king of Klal Yisrael is going to have to know. In the morning, he says, they get up by Alos HaShachar, by the crack of dawn. And again he calls him back up to the roof. And again they talk. And then Shmuel escorts Shol out to send him back home. And as there, he, he takes him to the outskirts of the city, and Shmuel tells Shol, "Tell your servant to move ahead. I want to talk to you in person." His vata, you amod, stand here with me today. Vashmiacha as dvar Elokim, I'm going to tell you the word of Hashem. And that's how chapter nine finishes. And chapter ten is where he's going to actually anoint him as the Melech with a lot of beautiful details, and that we will do Mirz Hashem next week. Okay, and that's when the actual anointing is going to happen.